Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted to have you with us again this week as we take a journey through the subject of death, dying, and the future hope. And we're going to spend a lot of time as we continue through this quarter focusing on that future hope. But we're just getting started now. This is week number two, and we're looking at death in a sinful world. We're grateful to be able to have the author of this quarter's Sabbath School uh, lesson with us. That's Dr. Alberto Tim. He's an associate director of the Ellen G. White Estate. Alberto, welcome. We're glad that you're with us today. I'm very pleased to be with you as well. So we're starting now. We're kind of getting up to speed. And already we're dealing with with sin. In fact, last week we talked about how God created a, a perfect world, a perfect universe. And then sin came. You know, the adversary, well, Lucifer, uh, chose to rebel against God, and uh, and sin came into existence. God didn't create it, but uh, Lucifer made a choice and became Satan. Now we come down to earth, and, and it gets a little bit more, I guess you might call personal, when uh, when Satan deceives Eve. What? How did this all work? How, how was he successful in deceiving Eve? What was kind of the psychology that he used in order to get her to depart from the perfect path and to head the wrong direction. Genesis uh, chapter 3 is a very fascinating chapter, fascinating in the sense of the content, but but tragic in regard to the consequences. And it's interesting that we have a contrast between the word of God in chapter 2, where God said that in the day that you will uh, eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And then comes later on the serpent and says, no, you will not die. So there was a tension between these two. And it's clear from chapter 3 that Eve understood very well God's command or God's prohibition not to eat from the from the tree. But then comes the serpent. And of course, you have in mind that the serpent actually is a medium just, because in, the, in Revelation 12, it speaks of the serpent, the old serpent as being the devil, Satan, and so on and so forth, in regard to identify the serpent. But then comes the serpent And it's very interesting, from my perspective at least, the psychology behind it, how uh, the serpent was able to mislead, misguide Eve. And first, the serpent used a generalization. You should not eat from any fruit of the garden. Okay. And then Eve came and decided to give a Bible study to the serpent. So to say, no, God stated this. We should eat, we can eat from all the trees except for this one, this specific one. And we know that the serpent was there trying to convince Eve to eat. And then the second one, the second stage, is that the serpent decided then to contradict. First, to generalize, then later on to contradict God's word. Say no, God even knows. And then the third stage, and that is a very significant one, is that the serpent offered 
better knowledge and accused God of suppressing truth. God's know that you will be able, God knows that you will be able to uh, to understand good and evil, but he suppressed truth. So in other words, he wants you to follow just what he has to teach and nothing else. And that was the disaster, really. So the serpent knew exactly the way to go within these three steps. And this is basically what is repeating uh, today in our history as well, when temptation comes. So he had a strategy. He executed that strategy. And unfortunately for all of us, uh, Eve bit. I mean, her first mistake was to engage him in conversation. She shouldn't even have talked to him or talked with him or, or listened to what he had to say. But as you, as you mentioned, she engaged him in a Bible study, as it were. Uh, and that was, a, that was a terrible mistake for her. Um, when Eve did enter into this conversation... What criteria did she use to choose whether to, to believe God or the serpent? What, how did she make a decision one way or the other? What was her, her thought process? Well, it's interesting that we should, first of all, not to defend God. Uh, I mean... When we are already in temptation, we should avoid temptation. But unfortunately, Eve really exposed herself. And so to say, I don't want to, to, uh, to paint a, a negative picture of the scientific method, because the scientific method we use to many things, but when it comes to temptation and to the Word of God, it's not always the best criteria. But actually, the serpent tempted Eve, and Eve used the empirical method, the scientific method of observation. And so she realized that, first of all, the, the fruit was nutritious, and that was one of the criteria. So from a dietary perspective, why should she avoid it? The second one would be from the aesthetical viewpoint, it was really very uh, beautiful, attractive, the fruit. And third, from a nutritional perspective, it was good uh, for health. So let's suppose that we were at that time, or that a tree of knowledge would be in our days. Let's suppose that we would take one of the fruits and take to the best uh, lab of chemical analysis whether here in Chattanooga or in another place where you are living, and you would ask the fruit to be analyzed, definitely the results would be this is an extremely nutritious food or fruit. There is no poison. We recommend that you should eat in a daily basis. But what was Eve's mistake? Actually, she do, did not realize the symbols of religion. There are things that are not intrinsical or in themselves uh, bad, but God put them aside as a test of obedience. And this was precisely the case. The fruit of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil was not poisoned. It was nutritious. But it was placed over there by God as a test to see if uh, Eve would really 
uh, trust his, his word or the word of God or would follow the, work, the word of the serpent. And let me just add another point, Eric. And this is from a scientific perspective, from an empirical stand of view, you would see that the word of the serpent was much more logical than the word of God. First of all, there was no death. People did not know of death. So why would they die? Secondly, I think that we have some evidences, and at least Ellen White says that the, the serpent was even eating from the fruit and saying, well, I am not dying. So all evidences uh, backed up the word of the serpent and not the word of God. So remember, not everything that is logical is truth. And not everything that's true is logical from a spiritual perspective. You, you bring up an, an interesting point. Um, God said when he spoke of the fruit, he said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And the adversary says, you will not surely die. And Eve and Adam both ate the fruit and they didn't die that day. So someone might from a, from a third-person perspective, look at this and say, well, it sounds to me like the devil knew what he was talking about and God didn't. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion that's not exactly the case. Well, this is a very interesting question because some people ask and have doubts, saying, well, in this case, they would even justify the word of the serpent, saying, well, God actually lied to Eve. But we have to keep in mind something. Although they do, did not cease to exist that very same day, but that very same day, that very same moment, they received the death sentence. But from my perspective, I understand that God's mercy intervened and extended the life of Adam and Eve. Although being already guilty, having the death sentence there upon them, and the dying process already started, not only for them, but for the whole creation. But I think that was an act of the mercy of, uh, uh, act of mercy from God's part to extend their existence. So I think you've already kind of, kind of touched on this, but I want to draw it out just a little bit more. Eve made the decision to engage the serpent in conversation. Uh, she used logical reasoning to go through this process, and unfortunately it led her to a, a poor decision. Talk a little bit more about the consequences of that decision. What ultimately did that lead to? Well, the Bible is very clear that that was the origin of that here for our, um, at least the... Uh, life as we know here on this earth. And this is really the place where uh, the scenario of the great controversy. But at the same time, you will see several points. And this is uh, the, the richness, I think, of Genesis chapter 3. We will not be able to read the passages, but you can read it later on for yourself. First of all, they hide it themselves. To, so there was something that probably we, we could call uh, theophobia or whatever you want, the fear of God. They were afraid of God. And that generated all the other fears that we have. 
Then later on, from a psychosocial perspective, they began to accuse each other. And, uh, and you remember, finally, the guilt was even uh, put on God. In, uh, it started in this way. Well, uh, yes, it was not uh, I myself, uh, uh, Adam, it was Eve. And Eve said, well, but the serpent misled me. And so it went. And later on, you will see that pain, suffering from a physical perspective also took over uh, the human body and even the ecosystem nature from an ecological perspective even uh, Adam and Eve who were the rulers of the garden the garden was uh, deteriorated also through the sin of Adam and Eve so really everything that we that is surrounding us today was was tainted because of this decision so we want to make sure that we don't echo that decision that Eve made uh, in, in our lives today We're going to take a short break, but before we do, I want to encourage you, if you haven't stopped by the It Is Written shop and picked up the companion book to this quarter's lesson, you'll want to do that. It's called On Death, Dying, and the Future Hope. The author, of course, is Dr. Alberto Tim. He's our guest here on Sabbath School today. But if you want to pick that up, you can go to itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. Pick up the companion book to this study on death, dying, and the future hope, and you will gain even more through this quarter. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes as we continue looking at the subject of death in a sinful world. We'll be right back. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. Was it God's plan for sin to enter the world? Is the building of a temple necessary before Jesus returns? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. Temptation is not sin. God says, put me to the test. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're looking now at death in a sinful world, and we've seen how Eve made some poor choices. Adam certainly did as well, and we are seeing the results of that right now. But Alberto, I want to go back to something that happened in this this story. Adam and Eve made poor choices. They listened to the serpent. They listened to their own minds and their own thought processes. But then before God makes any pronouncement about what's going to happen, he, he does a little bit of investigation into it. Talk about that a little bit. This is an exciting point, and especially God takes the initiative. You remember that Adam and Eve just went around. They hide themselves. They would not like to, to, to face God. They were ashamed of what they did, but God went after them, took the initiative of talking to them. And there was what I understand to be the first 
investigative judgment of human beings, where God comes, dialogues, and even asks, what have you done? Why did you do in this way? And so on. And then, later on, you have the outcome. God pronounces a promise. You remember, first a promise, and then later on the sentence to them. So he shares this promise in this sentence, and I want to I want to focus in here on on part of that promise. It's a significant one in Genesis chapter three and verse fifteen. There are some interesting words and implications here, so I want to kind of pull this out. Genesis three verse fifteen, God says that I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What is the significance of this verse? What do you see in this verse that can give us some hope and encouragement? This is a, a key passage, not only in the book of Genesis, but I think that in, for the, the whole Bible, within the whole Bible. Actually, here you have several elements. First of all, you have uh, enmity that is being promised. And uh, you might say, well, but this is just something simple. No, this word is very significant. Actually, the fall of Adam and Eve was not a partial fall. It was a complete fall. But if they were completely alienated from God and from the Holy Spirit, how could they ever accept the call of salvation? And here we have evidences that God put in the human nature, really, this enmity that means that kind of uh, natural, not natural, but supernatural placed in the human uh, mind, the human being, of uh, something that allows them to to accept the call of salvation. And then you have here the messianic promise. You have the conflict between the seed, or so to say the Messiah, Christ, that would come. And then you have also the the serpent itself standing for Satan. So here you have the first uh, promise of the gospel, the proto-evangelium, or whatever you want to call it, but the first promise of the gospel. And this promise is very significant because it speaks about a struggle because be, between good and evil throughout history. And finally, the seed or the Messiah would triumph over, uh, over the serpent. So God's plan of salvation will triumph. And this is a word of hope. And uh, just keep in mind that this promise of salvation of the gospel, the first promise of the gospel in the Old Testament, antecedes the curses that followed or the punishment that God had uh, due to the sin or, or the fall of Adam and Eve. So even, there, the, even though there was bad news, there was certainly a lot of good news there as well. Uh, fantastic news, really, for all humanity. There's, there's also one other element here in Genesis chapter 3 that I find interesting. In Revelation chapter, or pardon me, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. There's some 
implications, some assumptions here that I, I think we can safely make. Uh, one of them is that God did not speak these tunics into existence. Uh, they didn't just miraculously appear on Adam and Eve. They came from somewhere, and there's significance to that. What is that? Where did they come from, and, and why is that significant? Some scholars have uh, recognized it, that uh, this is the first reference to a sacrifice, uh, animal sacrifice, because they are not just tunics. It, they are made of skin. And to made out of skin, you have to kill the animal to, to take off the skin and then to, to use it the way you, you want. So uh, then you have another element over there, uh, is that they uh, clothed them. This word in Hebrew, at least some scholars say that this word uh, is usually used just for kings, the clothing of, of kings and priests. In this case, the idea of, uh, of a priest or the priesthood here is very significant. And this was the beginning of the sacrificial system. I don't think that it started there with, uh, with uh, uh, Abel, but you have uh, evidence here of it. So God not only promised or made a speech promising the gospel in verse 15, but here in verse 21, he actually illustrated it through uh, this idea of a substitution. They had to die. The death sentence was given them at the very same day. Although their life were, was spared, they continued to live because of the merc merciful intervention of God. And the sacrifices were a way to illustrate it. You have to die. But in reality... Uh, a substitute was provided. And this is the idea of atoning sacrifice in place of somebody else. So not only theory, but a practical illustration that would continue throughout human history until the cross, when Christ as the Lamb of God would offer himself as a sacrifice. So we're looking right here in Genesis chapter 3 at the first indication of, of really death. But I want, I want to step back from this story for, for just a moment and, and look at another subject that does, in fact, interact with it. And that's the, the theory of evolution. How does, what challenges do we face if we accept the ideas that are shared through the theory of evolution? Why does that cause a problem with us in this story of death here? Actually, you have two models. You have two ways of understanding to read Genesis 1 to 11. One of those is to, to take it as a historical account. And we have Bible evidences because all the later prophets in the Old Testament and also the writers of the New Testament always refers to elements of Genesis uh, 1 to 11, including the creation uh, story the fall of Adam and Eve, the flood or so, as historical, literal accounts and not just symbolical ones. But another reading is to consider them just as allegory or whatever you want to call it. And then some people reread Genesis, especially Genesis 1, 
that the days of creation are not actual literal days, but they are evolutionary process. And one of the common ideas on this matter is that within Christianity, I mean that there is a creator, there is God, but he used the evolutionary process to create the world. If this is the case, then we have to admit that there was death prior to the fall of Adam and Eve. And so the biblical concept as expressed here and also by Paul and other Bible authors, you will see that falls into, uh, becomes nonsense. For one simple reason, then the primitive forms of life already died before the fall of Adam and Eve. And even in this case, even the commandment of the Sabbath really does not make sense because evolutionary errors would not stand for a week uh, ending with a Sabbath. So in this case, I think that the Bible really is very clear that there was no death prior to the fall of Adam and Eve. And now, now we have the consequences of it. So Alberto, in the, in the few minutes that we have left here, what are some significant lessons that we can learn from this story about the temptation that Adam and Eve fell into? How can we prevent ourselves, uh, or at least make it more challenging for ourselves to, uh, to follow in those same footsteps? Well, I, I believe that uh, the form can change, but the substance or the essence remains. Temptation is always attractive and is to a certain extent also convincing. Otherwise, nobody would fall into temptation. And it uh, sometimes appeals to our own pleasure. I feel good about this. What is the problem? And uh, I think that one of those main lessons is uh, looking from a perspective here of what Eve did. It seems to be a very simple act what is the matter of just eating or not eating a fruit, but had tragical consequences throughout human history. So our actions, our decisions, if we are rereading God's word of trying to, to make the Bible say what I want to say and not what it actually says, can have tragi tragical consequences, not only for the present life, but even for the future and the life to come. So I think that we have to take into consideration God's word might not always be as logical as I expect, but it's always reliable and the best way for us to go. The safe thing for us to do is to simply take God at his word, trust him, and it doesn't hurt to look back at some examples of people who didn't do that and the consequences that they had to, to pay and and ultimately the consequences that we have to pay as a result of it. We are continuing our study next week through the story of death, dying, and the future hope, looking at the significance of this subject, the importance of it, and the hope that comes from understanding it correctly. So we trust that you've been blessed this week. We'll be back again next week for lesson number three as we continue looking at this subject that, that really impacts every last one of us. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written.